Well, today uh, the NFL championship games are going. Woohoo! Go Bengals! Finally, after 34 years. Uh, and you know, for, for uh, all four teams, it's a culmination of a long season. And honestly, so much has to go right to get to this uh, level. And one of the things that we don't really think much about that, that's absolutely essential for, for teams uh, to, to be successful is uh, something that's actually developed before the season begins. And, uh, and it's the team playbook. The, the team playbook is critical to the success of a team. The, the players and, and the coaches have to memorize it. And then not only that, that, that's probably the easy part. The harder part is that they have over and over and over had to practice those plays and, 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 and to get familiar with them and, and so that they know how to execute them and, and actually uh, play them. And, and that's critical for, for every team. So we're beginning a new series that we're calling Playbook. And the reason that we're calling it Playbook is because Think about it. Every great coach, every great team has a great playbook. Jesus has a playbook on how we can be pressed deeper into him. Jesus has a way for us to experience him that actually transforms us so that we become like Jesus, that forms us to be like Jesus. And, and, and so we call this playbook the Beatitudes. And I'm going to unpack what that means, but the Beatitudes are eight critical plays that will help us to move closer to God and deeper into Jesus. In fact, these are key to becoming like Jesus. And just like the players on an NFL team, we not only have to learn them, but you can't stop there. You've got to actually put them into practice. You've got to execute them. You've got to live them out. And so the reason that we chose this series is because this year, uh, the one word for our church is rooted. And rooted means this, pressing deeper into Jesus. That's what our focus is this year. And I want nothing more for myself and for you to be able to, to have deep roots into Jesus so that Jesus is shaping who you are. And, and so again, if we'll learn the playbook, and if we'll execute it, we'll practice it, what we'll experience is that we will be more rooted into Jesus, that we'll become more and more like him. Now, I have felt absolutely inadequate as I've prepared this series and, and, and this particular message. These Beatitudes, the Jesus' playbook, is so profound and so powerful that I feel absolutely inadequate to be able to, to communicate it in a way that, 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 that it deserves. It's so powerful and profound that I just don't know that I have the ability to be able to communicate it in the way that, that, that it deserves. And so let me just pray. That's probably the best thing that we could do right now. Father God, I, I'm asking your Holy Spirit to help me communicate this powerful process, this powerful journey that will lead us to the very best place that you have always willed and desired for us. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you be present right now in this room and, and with those who are with us online, to, that your spirit would translate my attempt to communicate this in ways that would speak specifically to each and every person. We want you to shape us and we want to sink our roots deep into you.
And so Holy Spirit, help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Jesus' playbook comes from what I believe to be one of Jesus' greatest teachings. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7. And the Beatitudes are, are the, the uh, begin the Sermon on the Mount. There are eight Beatitudes that begin that, that first chapter of, of Jesus' greatest teaching. And the word Beatitude, that's not a word we use normally in our English language. And the, the reason is, is that the word Beatitude actually comes from the Latin. You see, for, for centuries, the only Bible available to most people was a Latin Bible. And, and the Latin word for blessed are is the word beatitude. So that's how, why we got this word, beatitudes. It, it, it describes these eight blessings that Jesus uh, describes in, in what we call the beatitudes. What we're going to see in, in here is this, is that uh, the, the beatitudes are our playbook to help us live a radical life, the radical life uh, as a follower of Jesus. The eight Beatitudes are, are the plays that Jesus has provided for us to, to move towards that, that very goal and, and to experience what it means to truly be blessed. The, the Beatitudes will lead us to a place where we'll understand what real happiness is all about. So, so to become like Jesus... Uh, we go down this path, we go down this journey that's spelled out by, by the Beatitudes. And, and again, I want to remind us, just like, just like an NFL player, it's not enough just to know the playbook. It's not enough just to know the eight Beatitudes. We actually have to put them into practice. So each of the Beatitudes uh, begins with a, a statement, blessed are. Some translations will say, Happy are. And the word in the original language that, that our Bible was written is, is, is it's makarios. And makarios is a word that is not just blessing, but it describes the highest level of well-being for any human. It describes the deep joy and satisfaction that we can experience in God and God alone. It describes the, the ultimate aspect of satisfaction and what it means to have a true and lasting happiness. And so, if you want to experience a blessed life, if you want to be truly happy, you've got to follow Jesus' playbook, the Beatitudes. Let that sink in. This is the only way to true, real, lasting happiness. Now, each of the Beatitudes has the same basic formula. Uh, in each one, there's a spiritual description of, of our condition, and then there's a reward. And so, for example, the first Beatitude that we're going to uh, look into a little more deeply today is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Okay, so the spiritual condition, poor in spirit. The result, we get to be a part of the kingdom of God. And each of the eight uh, Beatitudes, they follow that same pattern. And so it's, it's as if God is saying this, congratulations. When you are this way, fill in the blank, poor in spirit, meek, mourning, when you're this way, you're going to get this incredible gift. Congratulations. That's, that's essentially what God is saying. So, while the pattern is the same for each of them, there's also this aspect. There's an irony to each of the Beatitudes. And, and, and think about it. Jesus says, blessed are the poor. 
Really? That doesn't seem right. Blessed are the sad. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And when we hear that, we go, that doesn't seem right. Those are, those are kind of strange blessings. That's not exactly what I would pursue. The way of Jesus is always upside down. The kingdom of God is inverted. It's different. It's a completely different approach from the way the world says that we're going to experience happiness. Jesus is calling us to something that's completely opposite of the way of the world. And so, so don't miss this. The Beatitudes aren't so much about what we do. Because that's kind of where we, we go with things. Like, what do I need to do? The Beatitudes are more about who we are. The first Beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's who we are. Now, don't, don't misunderstand me. It's out of who we are that we, that we, we, we behave, that, that we act. That it, it, our words come from who we are. Our actions, our lifestyle come from who we are. But where Jesus wants to start with this isn't our actions. He wants to start with who we are. And, and he's going to give us eight critical spiritual places, conditions that will shape who we are, that will make an incredible difference in our life and the lives of those around us. So the first step in this journey, the first play in the playbook is, is what we, we, we've already mentioned, poor in spirit. And we find it in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Let me read it again. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven. And so what Jesus is saying is if you want to you be happy, you want to be blessed, you got to be poor. Now, again, that's, that's weird. Really? So what does Jesus mean by being poor in spirit? And here's, here's what, here's what this, this means. To be poor in spirit means that we know we are spiritually bankrupt. And being spiritually bankrupt, that puts us in a spiritual crisis. It puts us in this place where, where, we, where we recognize we're in trouble. Look, we're all in a world of hurt. We've all messed up. We're all broken. None of us get to skip this piece of life. This is true for all of us. We are unable to save ourselves from our sins. Now, some of us kind of get that, but it goes even further. When we're poor in spirit, we realize that we are unable to overcome the power of pride and sin in our life that wants to mess us up, and, and not only ourselves, but those that are a part of our life, that we're never able to overcome that, that pride that, that creates all of those incredible difficulties for us, that we don't have the spiritual uh, abilities, qualities, solutions on our own. And, and so when we're in poor in spirit, we're so aware that we need God. God, I need your help. That's, what, that's where we're at when we're spiritually poor. Now, the word poor in, in the original language uh, describes the most um, impoverished person there can be. 
Someone who, who has nothing. They're bankrupt. They're homeless. They're a beggar. It's the opposite of what is celebrated in our culture. Somebody who's independent, self-sufficient, well-resourced. And what Jesus says is that if we're poor in the spirit, that's the first step towards being totally dependent on God. It's that, it's that step that leads us to an utter humility. Now, that humility, when we're in that place of humility, that's when we can admit our weaknesses. We can, we can understand and embrace that there, that there are just so many limits that we have. It helps us to be able to be honest about how needy we really are. And so when we're poor in spirit, it allows us to empty ourselves of ourselves so that there's room for God to fill us. And if we're full of ourselves, which is the opposite of poor in the spirit, then there's no room for God. It's just the reality. I love how the message version translates Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Let me read it to you. This is the message. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you know you're spiritually bankrupt, when you know you're at the end of the rope, that you're just helpless at this point. You're blessed when you get to this place of humility. Now, humility comes two ways. You can choose humility, or sometimes circumstances can force you to be humble. We also call that humiliation. When you know you need God, when you know that you're, you're empty, that's when God can begin to fill you. When you know you're nothing, only then can God be everything. Now, this, this poor in the spirit, this humility, it's, it's countercultural. Again, I, I, I'm going to keep saying this. The way of Jesus is, is inverted. It's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. Everything in our world pushes us to be self-reliant. Everything in our world says you've got to be confident and independent. And, and actually, that's our natural self. The world just feeds what's already naturally in us, that we are naturally full of ourselves, I'm sorry to say. You know, we're taught never to show weakness, and if you show weakness, you're just going to get clobbered. I mean, can you imagine Joe Burrow, the quarterback of the Bengals, saying, you know, I'm just a terrible quarterback. I don't know how today's going to go. Nobody's going to allow that on this team. Humility's not a part of our culture. We're rewarded for being proud and good and accomplished and self-reliant and strong. But that pride, which is what all that is, it's the opposite of humility. It's the opposite of being poor in the spirit. And we have an enemy. It's the devil. He is an expert at feeding our pride. He wants to convince us that we've got to have pride because that somehow protects us, that protects our ego. And so we have just learned not to admit weaknesses, not to admit that we have need, and we're going to do whatever it takes to 
to, 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 to protect ourselves and, and to, to provide the best for ourselves. But in that place of pride, in that place of me, we don't make room for God. And so humility is that first and most important step of moving towards being deeper with Jesus. Because when you know you're nothing, only then can God be everything. Now, recovering alcoholics, they have figured out this play already. Uh, in fact, being poor in the spirit for, for a, a person who's recovering from alcohol is that step to finding freedom uh, from addiction, and, and it's the path to wellness. And, and actually, go, this all goes back to the 30s. In the 30s, there was a stockbroker. His name was Bill, and Bill was an alcoholic. And Bill was introduced to Jesus. He was introduced to the scripture. He began to, to understand the teaching of Jesus. And he and some of others' friends end up figuring out that, that Jesus actually provided a way for them to get free from their addiction. And so Bill and some of his friends created what's today known as Alcoholics Anonymous. And they created what was called the 12 Steps. In fact, we have several groups here at Pantano that follow the 12 Steps. I want you to look at step one of the 12 steps. It says this. We, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. He got that right from Jesus. Now, some of us are going, I'm not an alcoholic. Why are you talking to me about this? It, it, this translates to all of us. You see, we are all powerless over the pride and the sin that's in our life. And, and that pride and sin has made our lives unmanageable. It's not just alcohol. But, but the problem is, there, there, and this is, this is what an alcoholic faces, this is what all of us face. We're too proud to admit how messed up we are and how much in need we are of God. And it's only in humility that we can admit we're powerless, that we're hurt, that we're a mess, and that we need help. When we're poor in the spirit, we know that we're powerless over the sins that are at work in our life. And so we come to this conviction that we need Jesus, who's greater than our sin. We need a Savior to heal us. We need a Lord to guide us. Now, here's how pride works, though. Here's how pride works against being poor in spirit. It, it tries to dominate us, and, and there's two key ways it does it. There's probably more, but there's two key ways. And the first is this. What pride does is that when we begin to realize that we're not doing well spiritually, that we need help, pride comes in and says, okay, here's the solution. You've got to try harder. I'll try harder. Did you notice the first word in that sentence? I'll try harder. Me. And so we have what I call these self-plays. Not, not the play of Jesus, poor in spirit, but rather we, we come up with these other plays that we're going to try, like religion, like following the rules, like doing the rituals that are a part of religion, having the right doctrine, having the right devotion, doing the right things, doing them hard enough, you know, and it's all about me. And the problem is, is the subtlety, and so we're still relying on ourselves. That's why religion doesn't work. That's why Jesus came to replace religion with relationship. 
And it's through that relationship with him that we can begin to encounter a power that's greater than ourselves. The second thing that pride does is it just keeps us from admitting our need. You know, pride is all about protecting our ego. Pride refuses to admit that we have weaknesses and need and and, and keeps us from asking for help. But when we're poor in spirit, we know we're broken. We know we can't fix ourselves. We know that we need help. And, and, and you know, when we get to that place of, of that kind of humility, it's painful. But it's the step that'll get us to ultimate freedom. And so the Jesus play, the first Jesus play, is being poor in spirit. And, and it just simply means this daily, we admit our need. It, it's confessing how powerful pride is and how it still rules in our life. And, and by the way, in just a moment, I'm going to lead us through a, a time of confession. But before we do that, I, I, I want to speak to, to those who are here and online who, who, who you, you've tried to fix yourself. You've, you've done everything you can to, to work through the, the struggles that, that, that are there that have been robbing you of happiness and, and, and joy but you're at the end of the rope and you're tired and you don't know which way to turn. And and, and you're at the end of the rope because you've never surrendered your life and your will to Jesus. If you want the blessed life that Jesus offers, the only way that you're going to have any possibility of, 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 of attaining that is by asking for help, admitting that you need Jesus. And so wherever you are, I want to encourage you right now to just admit that you need Jesus. You you can just say it quietly inside yourself. You can say it out loud if you're in a place where you can do that. And it just looks like this. I'm just going to put it up on the screen so that you can see it. Tell Jesus you're ready to follow him and let him have his way with you. Admit you can't save yourself or you can't fix yourself and you're helpless without him. That's it. It's not complicated. It's just admitting you need Jesus and you know that you can't manage this any longer. And if you make that decision or when you make that decision, then you make that commitment public. We declare it to others. And we do that in something called baptism. Baptism is when we are making a vow to ourselves, to God, and to others that we're going to follow Jesus to the best of our ability. And baptism is the ultimate act of humility. In baptism, a person stands in the water, and what they're saying there is that they're willing to die to themselves, that they're no longer in charge. And then the person baptizing, oftentimes here it might be Roger, you're you are putting yourself in a very humble position because Roger or whoever's baptizing takes you and puts you under the water and they can hold you there as long as they want. <laughs> it's a pretty vulnerable place. It's meant to picture that. See, see, then you come out of the water to begin fresh and new, to start fresh with Jesus being in charge 
with him leading your life. And if you're ready to be baptized, we're going to have baptisms in our service next Sunday, uh, February 6th. And if you'd like to be baptized or you want to find out more about it, I want to encourage you to just text ROOTED to 46356. And, and that'll take you to our next step page. There's a baptism button there. Just, just tell us who you are. We'll follow up with you. We'll give you instructions, answer any questions you have and, and for baptisms uh, next week. Now, what about those of us who are already following Jesus? What does it mean to be poor in spirit? And here's the challenge I want to give you to this beginning this series. Here's the challenge. Increase your poverty. I'll bet you've never had a preacher tell you that. And your financial advisor will never tell you that. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking spiritually. Our challenge is to increase our spiritual poverty. Poor in spirit means it isn't something that we do just the very first time we decided to follow Jesus. Yes, that, that's a part of that. But being poor in the spirit is a continual part of our life. It's something we experience every single day. It ought to experience every single day, at least. It's the constant awareness of our absolute dependence on God. Being poor in the spirit is where we daily confess that, that, that we realize how little we have inside of ourselves to truly be the people, that God, the, the person that God wants us to be. See, when you know you're nothing, only then can God be everything. And that ought to be our experience every day, knowing that we on our own are inadequate, but God is more than adequate. Now, there's one more subtle trick of the devil that I want to warn us about. You know, the devil knows the playbook because anybody can read it. It's right here, the Beatitudes. And the devil knows how important that first beatitude is, the poor in spirit. So you know what the devil does? He doesn't try to convince you that, that it's a lie. What he does is he tries to pervert what it means. That's how the devil works. He's really tricky. He's, he's, he's got these incredible schemes. And so here's how the devil does this. Here's how, how the devil plays this. Is that he allows you to realize how spiritually inadequate you are. In fact, he'll push you even farther that you're a spiritual failure. And when you're aware of what a spiritual failure you are, then what he does is he tempts us to take that to a place of shame. And you know what shame is? Is I'm not good enough. I'm terrible. I'm a spiritual failure. It's, you know, whatever particular words you use, that, that, that shame. And then what the devil wants us to do is get stuck in the shame. Because when we're stuck in the shame, which, by the way, is another form of pride, because in shame, our focus is on who? Me. I'm so bad. I'm so terrible. I've screwed up. I've messed up again. And, and, and the focus is all on us. And that's exactly where the devil wants us to be, is just realize you are so messed up and you got no hope. That's where he wants us to live. The devil wants you to think that what God is saying in that is that, that he's condemning you and that, and that he's rejected you and that, and that he's done with you because you've been there so long, so many times. The problem is that's not what Jesus is talking about. He wants us to get to that place of 
being poor in spirit, knowing that we need help. But what poor in spirit does is it drives us back to God. It drives us to the depth of his love for us, for his infinite grace that he, he Romans 8, 1, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. That, that he loves us and wants the best for us and that he will come and supply what we lack and he knows what we need. But it takes being poor in the spirit because when we're poor in the spirit, that's when you know you're nothing. And that only, only then, God can be everything. So I want to encourage us to do two things today. Uh, first is this. Uh, I, I've prepared a study guide for you about the Beatitudes. It's called the Jesus Playbook. It's a, it's a study and an introduction to the Beatitudes. And in it, it gives you an introduction again to the Beatitudes like I've done t today. It, uh, it, it's going to have the uh, confession exercise that we're going to do in just a moment. And it's got some questions where you can do some reflection. And I'd really like for you to do it this week. Uh, so just text ROOTED to 46356. That'll take you to our Next Step page, and you'll see the Jesus Playbook. And you can, uh, you can do that on your phone, on a computer, on a tablet, whatever you want to do. And, and I want to encourage you to do that study, that self-study this week as we're beginning this series of looking at the Beatitudes. I, I want you to really begin to engage this because you got to not just, it's not enough just to know the playbook. We've got to begin to put the playbook into practice. And then what I want to do right now is I want to lead us in a time of confession because that's a part of what it means to be poor in spirit. The heart of being spiritually poor is our, our ability and our willingness to admit that we're spiritually bankrupt. It's, it's, it's recognizing and admitting that pride still rules in our life. It's acknowledging how broken we are and that we need help. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to suggest some things that you might want to confess. All the things that I'm going to suggest are various expressions of pride and the sin that results uh, from that pride that, that hinders us from really engaging with Jesus and letting him do his work in us. Now, some of the things that I'm going to suggest maybe, maybe don't apply to you. That's okay. Others will. But I want you to allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to your heart right now. I'm inviting you to be poor in spirit and, and just be honest before God. So I'm going to read a statement, a description of pride. And then I'm going to pause a little bit so you can reflect and pray. And then after I've shared several of these, then I'll close our time together in prayer. So that if this is you, may I encourage you to confess that I'm conscious of a spirit of pride about myself because of my success, position, good training, knowledge, appearance, or natural gifts and abilities. If this is you, confess. I want things my way, period.
Or maybe I need human praise and I want to be noticed. I draw attention to myself in conversations. I want to be the center of things. Maybe this is you. I'm, I'm easily stirred to anger, and I'm impatient. I'm touchy and sensitive. and or I'm stubborn. I have a strong self-will and have a headstrong and unyielding disposition. I'm fearful of others and, and situations. I, I have a compromising spirit and will often tone down my convictions to not be offensive or, or to avoid conflict. I'm jealous and envious of others. I find it hard to celebrate the successes of others. Sometimes I'm dishonest, deceitful. I'm evasive about the whole truth. I cover up my faults and try to leave a better impression than is warranted. I can exaggerate or stress a point in my favor. I struggle to trust God and surrender my all to him fully. I get angry or impatient with God when things don't go my way. I, I still try to control things that I need to surrender to God. And finally, I'm selfish. I love and value comfort, ease, pleasure, and money more than is good. I take care of my needs first. Lord Jesus, 
We sang a song earlier, something has to break. Tear down every lie. Set the wrong thing right. Because when you have your way, something has to break. Something has to break. Break my pride. Help me embrace my full dependence on you and you alone. I can't do this on my own. Help me. Let me be nothing so that you can be everything in me. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When you know you're nothing, only then God can be everything. Being poor in the Spirit is the first play in Jesus' playbook. And so I just want to encourage you, please uh, do some of the work this week. Uh, get access to the Jesus Playbook. Uh, text ROOTED to 46356 and spend some time this week doing your own reflection. And, and maybe because of th this truth, maybe because of what I've shared, maybe because of something that's happened this week, you need prayer. And our prayer partners will be here and would love to pray with you and join you as you try to press deeper into Jesus. And, and if you're fairly new to faith, if you're new to this church and you're just not sure what's next, but you know you want to do something, you want to take a next step, we want to help you and encourage you. So just come on over to starting point, room number one, right off the outdoor courtyard, and we'd love to connect with you. And so take the first play of the playbook seriously. This week, consider how you can increase your poverty, how you can be poor in the Spirit. And may God bless you in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Take care, everyone.